0: So this second session for the week follows up on the first chapter of France Fanon's 1952 text, Black Skin, White Masks, articulating, I think, a little bit more clearly the stakes of language in Fanon's analysis, that is what the stakes are in putting language at the center of, of understanding anti-blackness and its function on the psyche and uh, cultural formation, but also Understanding some of the limits and some of the missed opportunities Fanon has, especially in that opening chapter, but really across his work for understanding the potentials in uh, pidgin and creole uh, language formations. We then moved on to a characterization of the second chapter of Black Skin, White Masks, which is on uh, a a novel about interracial uh, love that for Fanon exemplifies the pathologies that come with a colonial anti-black world around desire and what uh, animates and orients desire. Let me start with a few words on language. I talked last time uh, about the understanding Fanon has of language, that language and thought are inseparable, that language and culture are inseparable, that language and civilization and world are inseparable that inseparability i think is a broad philosophical observation that is not only defensible but probably in the end straightforwardly uh, obvious and correct we don't think without language we don't have cultures without some form of language because in terms of culture that's how culture is both produced through different uh, language forms in this case that he's examining the French language, you know, arts and literature, it's not only how culture and cultural objects are formed through language, but also how those cultures are reproduced. When culture is externalized in, uh, uh, in language, it then becomes a part of how the world is re- uh, of a culture is, is reproduced for future generations like we can think about how, you know, a novel that somehow captures uh, an essential part of who and what a nation is or who and what a nation imagines itself to be, you put it in a school system, right, whether it's K through 12 or, uh, you know, higher education or even just in terms of popular reading and popular knowledge and all of a sudden you've really established uh, a core value and set of ideas that through school systems and popular memory, you can reproduce the very same thing that that novel or that short story or poem produced. So the relationship between production and reproduction is absolutely crucial in thinking about the meaning of language in the context of black and white masks. So the dilemma, of course, for Fanon is when you are when the language of a culture in a civilization, the language of a world, is a language in which you can never fully realize yourself as a colonized person. You cannot fully realize yourself as a colonized person in that language for two reasons. One is just simply the question of origin and the, the relationship of origin to race. In the case of French, right french is the language of french people which is it's a language of france the nation and it's a language of in the colonial language uh, white people Uh, in in colonial language of black skin white masks of white people right or just what he calls the white and if it's a possession of the white that means that any speaking of that language by the non-white is already derivative already at some distance from the place culture, civilization, and world of that language, language's origin. But in addition to that question of origin and how one is alienated in a colonial context from those origins as the colonized, there's also the, the question that really forms the first chapter's reflections of Black Skin White Masks, and that is the question of race and racism that Fanon is, is laying out in detail for us what it means to speak with perfect diction yet be black and that irreversibility, that immovability of blackness, blackness that he identifies as operating at the level of the epidermal, not the spiritual, not in terms of consciousness or mind or soul, but just the epidermal, that the black speaker is marked by black skin. And by being marked with black skin it doesn't matter to the white gaze to the colonial gaze how well the black speaker speaks because the black speaker speaks as a black speaker and the blackness of the black speaker is in a world of anti-blackness which is the only world that fanon has known and the only world that has been um the character of uh colonial martinique At no point is he able to speak outside the racial dynamics of black and white. But there's a second level to that that I think is really important and that we began to discuss in class, which is Fanon's description of learning French diction abroad and coming back to the Caribbean, right? Coming back to Martinique and being told that he or someone, right, in in that position speaks white and that idea of speaking white is this again link between race identity and world through language and so when when the when fanon comes back from europe with french diction uh, you know white french diction He's asked, you know, are you trying to be white? You know, do you not want to be black? Or are you less black than you used to be? These kinds of questions that are deeply alienating to him, of course, as a person, but reflect, again, the central insight into the relationship between language, world, civilization, culture, and race. He also mentions, and this for me is a really important opening, that upon returning, Right. The, the, the black man who studies in France returns unable to speak or unable to speak in the most current uh, ways to speak Creole. And that moment where he says that is an opening for me to two things. Right. One is Fanon's own insight, which is her own claim, which is that, you know, the real question is the relationship between f- the French language and race and that this note about Creole is kind of a passing concern. But it also opens up this other question, and it's a question that's asked by many um, uh, uh, many intellectuals who write after Fanon. And that question is just simply, why uh, is Creole not a language of world, culture, civilization, and race? Because of course, Creole has all of the things that one would expect from a language that is understood to have that expansiveness, right? That expansiveness of of world and culture and civilization. And it is clearly explicitly linked to race in that it comes from the Afro-Caribbean, not from white France. So the Black Caribbean generates Creole, and Creole has in it grammars, expressive traditions, embellishments, words for all the things in the world that are particular to that world, right, and not necessarily to all other worlds. And if Creole has that sense of expansive words, expansive grammar, there is this question, I think, that 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 haunts uh, Black Skin, White Masks in that opening chapter. And that is, why does Fanon not take Creole seriously as a language? When he talks about um, when he talks about diction in French, he's explicit that that the perfection of diction represents a desire to be white, which is the destiny of the black man. That's what's said in you know the destiny the destiny of the black man is to be white. That's from directly from the introduction to Black Skin, White Masks, and it plays out in that moment of diction wanting to be white, but faded in an anti-black world to never get there right? For better or worse, right? I think for Fanon, for better, because it keeps a black man in the zone of non-being, which is a condition for some sort of revolutionary potential. He indicates that in the introduction. His later work really plays that out. But he does not say, again, that a form of resistance to the, to the racial hegemony around diction and the French language is to embrace Creole as world-making, as civilization and culture-making. This is something that later writers, Édouard uh, Glissant is is probably the most famous among them, but also Raphael Confiant, Patrick Chamoiseau, Jean-Bernabé, Maurice Condé, uh, just to name a handful, right? And in the Anglophone Caribbean world, we could talk about Camel Brathwaite for sure as uh, an advocate of Patois and, and Creole as what Brathwaite calls nation languages. The languages of nations, the languages of places, the languages of how to make worlds, or understand not to make worlds, but understand how worlds have been made. And then to make that a centerpiece, right, of why and how we um, uh express ourselves in this particular place. Creole can absolutely fulfill that function. That's not something, uh, for lots of reasons, that Fanon doesn't take seriously. I would say chief among those reasons is that he has accepted, really without question, this depiction, this vision or, or image of Creole as, and this is exactly the way he puts it at the beginning of Black Skin, White Masks, that Creole confirms to the white gaze what the white gaze wants to see about black people—that is, that they can't speak French, right? They can't speak with perfect diction. So creole ends up being a mark of abjection, a confirmation of white racism at the linguistic level, at in some significant uh, in some significant way. Again, highly controversial later, but at the time, it really indicates something about the internalization of at least this aspect of colonial depictions of the colonized that their language is derivative that their language isn't to be taken seriously creole being that language setting that aside there's a really important um, feature of the second chapter and we only read the second chapter and not the third i think they're repetitive in terms of the form of their analysis uh, the, the way they do the analysis is very different. The psychoanalytic apparatus in the third chapter is, is quite dense and, frankly, I think a little heavy-handed, uh, it's my editorial moment. But the second chapter, which is on the black woman and white man, the relationship of desire and sexuality in that chapter, which is on um, a novel, right, by Mayo Capetian, uh the his analysis of that novel is that the black woman who desires the white man is pathological, right, suffering from some sort of disorder. And that that desire is never a desire on her part to have. I don't know how else to put it, but an equal relation, right? That it's a fundamentally unequal relation because it's a black uh, woman and a white man. And in the colonial racial context, this is um, as power imbalanced as you can get. So the question is, you know, why, given that power imbalance, why, uh, you know, given the, the oddity of interracial desire, you know, why would the black woman want a white man? And Fanon's take on this is to pathologize it, right? To see it as an illness of some kind, um, rather than say, you know, a declaration against the system. It's absolutely not resistance or rebellion for him. It's quite the opposite. For Fanon, it's absolutely um, just uh, pathological but it's not pathological because of something that's gone wrong with the woman right the individual woman and I think this is the most sympathetic read that you can give it it's been criticized and I think for good reason as scapegoating women as uh, psychopaths uh, for their uh, their love and sexual interest in uh, any you know any any black woman who has sexual interest or desiring interest in uh, for a white man. So, but he, it, he doesn't ever locate that in a sort of personal failing of this abstraction called a woman or this character in the novel. Rather what he does, and this is where I think his analysis has to be taken seriously, is to, to point out that in an anti-black world where the destiny of blackness is to become white but could never become white, that nevertheless would ins- that you know if that claim is true that he makes in the introduction about the destiny of blackness, we shouldn't be surprised to find the desire of in this case a black woman and in the next chapter a black man to have desire for whiteness in you know personified in a particular person in this case a white man in the second chapter, and that desire is again the desire that's built into the structure of anti-blackness. That there is something about a relationship of, and contact with this white man that gives the black woman an aspiration, a concrete, embodied feeling of aspiration toward this higher, uh, th- this this higher racial social status, right? But of course, the point of the novel is, and the point of Fanon's analysis is that even the white man who has both racial and phallic power, the phallic being. Uh, the, you know, the, the power and hegemony over the world broadly. This is absolutely a feature of, of, of white men and their domain in an anti-black world and in a colonial system that's also patriarchal. But that's not a property that can be transacted. In other words, a black woman can't get that from the white man. The black woman can see it in the white man and think, well, in my proximity to him, maybe I will have it for myself. But of course, what she learns in the novel and what Fanon is saying is inevitable in life is that she finds out that she will never actually possess that power. All she gets is whatever vicarious thrill there is uh, to be gotten from being near whiteness. But you don't get what whiteness has; you simply get the feeling of proximity to whiteness. Now, while Fanon's analysis—you know—we we, there's plenty of, of critical remarks to 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 be had in that. But I'm, in some ways, more interested, at least in this little piece here, in just noting the everydayness of Fanon's claim. That is, on the one hand, he may be seen; he may seem to be making. A a too broad claim that uh, a reasonable person would stop and say you know you can't you can't generalize you know so boldly or something like that but when I think that right when I take that seriously I actually have uh, it uh, does also though bring to mind for me this really important social phenomenon that we 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 absolutely still have in this country which is when someone sees uh, an interracial couple there is an almost it almost works at the level of instinct or deep habit of people readily assuming and declaring and people often speak openly about this declaring that the black person in that relationship must have a fucked up or pathological relation to their own blackness. That is, they're not happy about being black, right? They're not proper or authentic black people because look at them, they're in this relationship with a white person. Therefore, they can't fully value their blackness because like Fanon is pointing out, the structure of anti-blackness is to, to try to force black people to want to be white. Right? And resistance to that, for Fanon, is, is the beginnings of a revolutionary consciousness. And I think we see that played out with the instant pathologization on first sight for so many people who see black and white interracial couples. Now, people, when they get to know, you know particular couples or particular people, or even reflect, often will nuance or withdraw this kind of instinctual assessment and you know, start to think about the individuals involved or this sort of thing, right? I'm not really interested in that part because all I'm trying to say with this example is that this is how many, uh, this is how Fanon's analysis, however many uh, passages one might want to object to his language, to his characterization, to his derision and sort of withering contempt for the black woman in the in the story, however much that's all at play, he is noting and remarking on a phenomenon that we see every day when people see interracial couples, which is that in an anti-black world, interraciality broadly, and in particular in relationships of love and desire, right, looks pathological because it doesn't fit the colonial binary, the colonial structure of, of, of you know, the true human and the infra or subhuman, right? That system and that matching of the two strikes us as discordant. And when it strikes us as discordant, right, there's a move to pathologize one or the other, right? Somebody here has uh, a fucked up desire, has has a deranged desire, has a desire that ought to be critiqued. And that for Fanon is part of why the world as we know it, and this is something we have to get into in more detail, But it's where I want to conclude here. That's why for Fanon, the world as we know it is unlivable for black people. It's unlivable for black people because black people can't fully realize themselves because of the specter, the ghost, the haunt of whiteness. It's at every turn. It's around every corner. It's in every aspect of the world and consciousness. So the world as we know it has to be fundamentally destroyed or, or deeply transformed in order to make a relationship of blackness to itself of black people to themselves possible or maybe and we'll have to really see this uh, when we get to the conclusion of black skin white masks perhaps it's the very language of black and white that fanon is trying to overcome not the imposition of whiteness on blackness but maybe the very meaning of those terms and that's something we'll just have to wait and see and find some more text to base a judgment what did fanon mean by anti-blackness, what did he mean by the idea that blackness has its destiny to become white, and what does it mean to think after these terms.